Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's your call sign, pilot? Um, we have to go. It, it's, um, Rogue? Rogue Ones. Rogue Ones? There is no Rogue Ones. Well, there is now. Hello and welcome to The Rogue Ones, a Star Wars and or podcast from the Playlist Podcast Network that dares you to put away the lightsabers, pick up the tools and stay on program. I'm your co-host, Mike D'Angelo, and joining me is Editor-in-Chief of The Playlist, Rodrigo Perez. Together, we plan to dive lightspeed into Season 1 of Andor right along with the fans each week. Many of those weeks will also bring on special guests from the show to discuss stepping into the beloved and contentiously debated Star Wars universe, share teases for what's to come, and even talk about their favorite Star Wars films. This week, we'll be discussing Episode 9 of the series and afterwards, director of Episode 9, as well as Episodes 1, 2, 3, and 8 and 10. Uh, Toby Haynes joins the podcast to discuss suddenly becoming Andor's go-to director during COVID and working with the great Andy Serkis and so much more. But before we jump into all of that, I've got to tell you that The Rogue Ones is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes The Playlist Podcast, Bingeworthy, The Discourse, Deep Focus, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite shows. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network to get all of these shows. Uh, also, drop us a comment or rating as we always appreciate it. Okay, Rodrigo, Episode 9. Traditionally, this would be you know the third in the series of block episodes and would be the most intense and sort of resolve the storyline that's been building up these past couple episodes. But they use this one kind of as an ep- extra episode to build up characters, tee up a little tense episode 10 that's going to be coming up. So in this episode, we find Bix is in Imperial custody. She's being tortured for information on Andor, while Andor himself is trying to convince Kino to help him at every juncture. And the other prisoners, they're trying to come up with an escape plan, and they're picking up slack for poor Olaf. And he's the he's basically the elder member of the group that is quickly deteriorating. One of the big reveals of this episode is also that Vel and Mon Mothma are cousins. There's a lot of big stuff in this one. So far, just with those, what were your thoughts so far? I mean, one of the things I think it's really interesting is that in this episode, you almost have a mini rebellion starting, like a mini insurrection. And who's leading it? It's Andor, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So it's yeah. sort of like a microcosm of like what's to come. Like he pulls this off. He knows there's no other option. It's in a way this sort of subtle kind of like smaller version of the big picture that he's still not quite convinced himself of yet. But, you know, after this, this is a pretty good gateway drug to to realizing like we're really fucked here. Like all of us in the entire galaxy, we may not be in, be in prison, but, you know, we're all in trouble. And this is our only option. You know, otherwise yeah. we're all like going to live like under the imperial war machine where like as luthan has been saying you know been slowly choking us the the idea of these guys in prison never getting out is is a similar idea you know they're Mm -hmm. like 
slowly being choked out of their life and, and being in prison for life, probably putting the parts for the Death Star or whatever. This is probably not that it really matters. But yeah, it's like it's a real mini uh, building insurrection and and or taking the lead because he knows he's got to save his skin, right? There, there's no way out of there if they don't do that. And so a big part of that is is trying to convince Kino because Kino is such a big part of that. And I think in, in that sense, he's become a kind of parallel to what Luthen is, right? Like yeah. Luthen's the, the mastermind putting parts together and convincing people. Andor's doing the same thing in this episode, you know? I never really put that together that this was whole, this was all just like a, a training ground for him. That's kind well, of he doesn't get it either, but it's yeah, like, obviously, yeah. you know what I mean? He, it's not conscious for him, but that's what they've done in the writing, which is brilliant. Like, you know, this sort of parallel thing that's like putting him like when this is all said and done by the up, end of like, you know, episode 10, episode 11, when he's hopefully out of there, I guess we know what happens, but we won't say. But like, you know, it's going to probably dawn on him that like what he's done and how it's very similar to what Luthen's been doing and how is sort of perfect. And that's kind of like, again, the show is about the slow kind of radicalization of this character, right? And everybody around him. And we're seeing all the parts of it that are agitating him and pushing him more and more towards this spot. Like the more uh, events and and things that are radicalizing him. And, and you know, I think we're going to see that with some, probably some really bleak endings for people like probably Bix, Marva, like, and those are going to be the pushing, like, we're, we're seeing, like, physical and, and kind of mental points and emotional points, but then there's going to be, like, the real tipping points of, like, when he probably loses more people he loves to what's happened is really going to be the tipping point is what I think is going to happen. Yeah, and then on the other side, you have kind of Mon Mothma's walls closing in on her, and she's freaking out, and you you get that big reveal, like I mentioned before, that her and Vel are cousins, but they don't seem to know a ton of what's going on with each other. Like they're feeling each other out. And right. really because and what's really details. interesting about that is that Mon Mothma might not even know that Vel works for Luthen. It seems like she has a an inkling, but I don't know if she really understands what Vel's up to. But what and I think what you just said there kind of like again points to the whole thing. Like everybody's being pushed into that corner, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's being pushed into a corner that they can't get out of, and there's one option for them, and that's rebellion, right? And so yeah. like That's what's kind of brilliant about the writing. It's just sort of forced everyone in these places where they're going to have to commit to this because there's no other option. Yeah, it's a it's a big episode on on all sides, just as far as like ramping up the tension and like slowly squeezing there on Deidre's side. We got her closing in on Nandor. She's captured that rebel pilot. And basically, Cyril is cornering her at every chance and begging her to join the team and failing miserably. Oh, my Um, God. He's like really testing her limits. (laughs) Yeah. You see why he's doing it. He really believes in what she's doing and wants to help. But I don't know what's going to happen with him. Like, is she just going to keep pushing him away and pushing him away until he snaps or what's going to happen here? I think it's a man in search of purpose. Yeah. And I think. He's almost like, I think I've said this before, like, I think he's almost like he's on the spectrum a little bit or whatever the version would be in the Star Wars (laughs) galaxy. And he's just desperate for purpose. And what we're seeing here is someone being rejected over and over and over again by the one place that seems perfect for him, the Empire. So where is he going to go if he doesn't have the Empire, right? I think he's going to go to the Rebels. And he's also being shown, like, he's a man of like, he needs purpose. He needs, he needs order in his life. And he's like, okay, so my thing is justice. I want justice. And then he's realizing when he goes to the the exact people that he thinks he can get justice for is that they don't fucking care. They don't care about (laughs) any of this. They just have their own fucking, their own beliefs. And they're sort of like, 
like, you know, policing and law enforcement, but not really. They just want like, they just want to oppress people. So right. I think that's that and everybody one. wants their flowers. Everybody has their ego that they're just like, they just want attention and they're missing the bigger picture of it all. For sure. But I think Cyril is like, he's being disabused of the notion that the empire is for what he wants. He's been knocking on their door over and over and over again saying like, look, I'm the perfect person for you. I believe in your cause. And it's going to come to the like sort of like brutal realization that they don't have a cause really. And then it's not one that actually aligns with him. It, it's just one of just fucking taking over everything and eating and swallowing everything in sight. And once he becomes, once that becomes clear to him and he's been rejected enough, that's where it sets him up to like, okay, well, what's another place that I can find purpose in? And, you know, that's also not going to be easy, but I think it's a gateway drug to, to that. We also get the, the big tee up for Davos Galden who Mon is going to inevitably come in contact with here. It's basically kind of inferred that he's this low life she hates, but Tay, her friend, who's who's trying to move her money around, is saying that he needs she he's really the only option here. It's a kind of awesome like uh political like lobbyist kind of thing. Or almost exactly like, okay. it's like, yeah, you know, you're you're it's like okay, Nancy Pelosi, you can do this thing, but you've got to like we gotta get you this really, really shady guy who's got really shady lo- money laundering ties, and you gotta work with him. And she's like, Oh, gross, I don't wanna do that. And of course she doesn't, but she again, no choice, right? Yeah, for sure. I do want to mention one thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think we have it in our notes because we have a big doc of like everything that happens in every episode. But there's a key name to a rebel who has been mentioned several times in this sort of later half. And he's a guy, he's the same, I don't re- recall his name, but he's the guy that Luthen mentions to Oh, yes, um, yes, yes. Kigor something. Kigor, um, I forget his name, but he's he's the guy that when Luthen is talking to Saw Gerrera in the last episode, and he's like, there's a there's a essentially a partisan, another uh faction, another rebel faction that I want you to work with. I need your help. And and Saw says no, right? He mm-hmm. basically says, No, that guy's a fucking ox. I don't want to work with him. It's show it's showing how how difficult Saw is to work with, even with Luthen giving him like all these arms and ships and all this stuff, Saw doesn't want to do it. But that's a name that keeps popping up and keeps popping up. And we have to pay attention because we're going to see who that is. I don't know if it's a big name or anything, but um, certainly him and his factions look like they are being teed up to be the big things in episode 11 and 12. So I would just tell everyone I, I forget his name uh, because I remember Googling it a couple of times and not, it never came up. So I was like, okay, this guy's not on, you know, he's not in the books. He's not anything. He's just like a, uh, almost, it sounds like he's like another kind of Saw Gerrera type, but you know, from a different angle. Yeah. Look out for him. Cause I think that's where things are headed. Yeah. Definitely interested in seeing where that goes, but the, the big through line as far as Andor storyline here is, you know, they're, tr- he's trying to get Kino on his side. Kino is shutting him down at every Avenue. Uh, meanwhile, there's these rumblings that are trickling through from other floors that something happened on level two, and they're getting little tiny bits of information until you hear that they were fried out for making trouble. And then suddenly at the end, we have the big stroke scene with Olaf, where you know they try to cover for him. And via the doctor, they find out what actually happened, which is the Empire mistakenly put a man who is supposed to be released up from four they put him on to the next day word got out there was a big hoorah whatever you want to call it rebellion on level two and they fried the whole floor which the the whole scene 
I mean, just for that information, it's it's pretty interesting. But Andy Serkis's how he takes in this information is just outstanding within episode nine. It's just the beginnings of him really understanding his situation there and what he's going to have to do. And it's just a really outstanding performance. What did you think of that? Uh, so, you know, the, the name is the separatist is Anto Krieger. Anto Krieger. I right. don't know who he is yet, but he's being teed up a lot. His, his name is probably mentioned about three times between episode seven and uh, 10, I believe. Anyhow. Uh, yeah. I mean, Andy Circus is phenomenal and, you know, they needed a care, an actor who would bring gravitas to this role and a kind of gruffness. And they got that in, in Andy Circus. Andy Circus is terrific. He's a great foil against Diego, the two of them. And again, he's being pushed to this place where it's slow, it's taking time, but he's realizing he's going to have no options either. So yeah, once all this stuff starts to really gel, it's, uh, or he's starting to realize, I mean, and or I think already came to this realization, but it's like, it's do or die for them. They either stop this now or they don't have another opportunity to to lead this mini insurrection rebellion for probably months or years. Exactly. It tees up a lot of what's to come in episode 10, which is all I will say is it's it's really, really good. <laughs> There's a lot of great performance moments. Yeah, There's a lot of thrilling moments. So that's another one where things are really going to come to a head. That's all I'll tease. But for now, the first nine episodes are up now on Disney Plus with new episodes coming weekly through November. Let's tee up that interview with Toby Haynes, the delightful director that I spoke with earlier this week. Super nice guy. Turns out he was fairly integral to getting Andor off the ground during the pandemic, which I, I did not know about. There were a lot of kind of like, you know, behind the scenes revelations that were kind of cool in this interview. So that was my big takeaway is that he was a really big part of getting it, you know, just back off the ground after COVID hit. Awesome. That's great. I, I, I wish I could have joined that conversation. I can't wait to listen. I, I'm just sort of loving talking to all these people and all their sort of different perspectives and, you know, from from John to Nicholas to, to Toby. It's it really gives an interesting grounded picture. And we have like hopefully fingers crossed some really amazing guests coming up. I don't think we should say who yet, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they could be, you know, if all goes well, I think we'll have the best ones we could possibly have. Final thought, I suppose, is just like this show is just really putting every it's putting the squeeze on everybody and is really showing how desperate it is. It's almost like, you know what, this show is trying to match everybody's philosophy, emotional state and ideology with Luthen. Luthen's already mm. there right? Yeah. He's been there since episode one. He's been there since episode 0 0.9 or whatever, you know, <laughs> like years and months back before we're seeing any of this. And now everybody's sort of like being radicalized to the point that they're going to join his POV, his point of view and be like, yeah, okay, this is exactly what we have to do. And then from there on, it's, you know, we're up and running and man, I think season two could be really fucking awesome. Especially because they're, they're going to really hit the ground running with that one. Uh, For sure. And just the way they put this slow burn into the commitment to like getting all these characters to Luthen's point of view, essentially, mm -hmm. you know, to getting to this, to realizing that there's no, there's no other hope. There's no other option and squeezing everyone to the point of desperation. And that's, you know, uh, uh, Luthen says it, right? Uh, uh, oppression breeds rebellion. As a reminder, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Rogue Ones, so keep checking back every week for more discussions and interviews for this amazing piece of the Star Wars galaxy. For Rodrigo and myself, stay rebellious. Great, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm just to, to start off up top,
we do an, a weekly and or podcast at the playlist just because we're such big fans of it. So uh, yeah, we're, we're just huge fans of this. I'm a huge fan of yours in general, just everything that I've seen that you've done, whether it be, you know, Sherlock or black mirror or, Doc, or uh, Jonathan strange, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Really big fan. Um, so thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So since we are here to talk and or, uh let's talk about just the beginning of it for you was it something that was brought to you did you pursue it how did this come i was very lucky to um get the opportunity my friend and colleague um sana wollenberg uh, who just produced chernobyl um mm, yeah uh, it, so we did um uh the dot two christmas special together we'd worked on wallander together and we've always been looking for another project to do together and I hadn't seen her for a while because she was obviously down, you know, the, the Chernobyl black hole. And then I saw her around award season because we were touring with um, Brexit. And I saw her and I was like, what are you up to? And she said, oh, I'm doing Star Wars. And I was like, oh, my God, like, whatever you want, I'm there for it. You know, I'll make tea <laughs> for you. I'll be like, you know, I'm just like, I'll carry your stuff to work. I'm going to be there. Like, um, to just get me in. So she was she was great. She got me a meeting with Tony. And we sat in um, the Charlotte Street Hotel and, you know, had a couple of old fashions together and started talking Star Wars, you know, and he told me his whole concept for the show. And it was just incredibly exciting to hear what he was planning and the kind of scope of what he was trying to do. And at that point, he was going to do the first couple of eps and he was looking for someone to follow up and do uh, do the second block or or some of the other blocks. And so um, and, you know, at that point, I was like, you know, grateful to do anything on it. And I was also lining up another show I was kind of involved in. I was going to do a pilot. So I was going to do that pilot while he's doing the pilot for Andor. Um, and then uh, literally two weeks after we had that meeting, it was lockdown. And so that was, uh, you know, that everybody's productions got frozen. You know, my I didn't get to sign a contract on my pilot. And uh, yeah, and so that was like every, like everybody else. It was down tools and like no one knew what was going to happen and what we we're going to do afterwards. Anyway, so sort of months and months pass. I'm trying to get kind of stuff off the ground or at least development work while, while I'm sort of sat at home. And I just sort of called up Sana and said, like, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to go for a coffee? And something I want to hear about what's, how's it all going? And she was trying to get Andor off the ground in what, whatever way um, and try and work out whether production was even going to be possible with that kind of COVID protocols at that point. And anyway, she got busy, so we didn't actually get to meet up. But I did get a phone call and it was we are out of the blue from her and I thought what's this you know when she was calling me and I, I picked up the phone and I said look if Tony doesn't want to come over and direct because of COVID you know I'm I'm still available and she just said shut up and listen she hadn't heard a word I said you know like she was so stressed she was like Tony doesn't want to come over because of COVID because because <laughs> he didn't want to like because you're gonna to have to he lives his family's in New York he didn't want to have to quarantine for 10 days every time he went back to New York and back again you know so coming over he would have had to bubble over here and fortunately I was the only director that he'd met at, at that point <laughs> and he said how how close does Toby live to the studio and I was like literally 20 minutes away uh is he available and I was like yeah man I'm I'm there for you so I was like I was so hungry for it so it really was a stroke of kind of um COVID luck in a way I did very well out of that but um it was uh it was sort of, I don't know, it was my destiny. I've always, like, I'm, I watched Star Wars when I was six years old. I just sort of, uh, ever since then, I wanted to be a filmmaker, you know, when someone said Star Wars was, like, was directed by someone, was made by someone, <laughs> I wanted to be that person. So um, it kind of rounded a circle for me, that you know, that, that sort of 30-year cycle. 
So you weren't even supposed to direct the first three, but you did. How much did you work with Tony? How much had been done at that point to kind of establish the world? Because it's like the Ferrix episodes, basically, and establishing yeah. this series tone. Was that a lot of work that you had to do or was that train already left the station? The train had definitely left the station. I mean, he was very like they were getting they were fairly far down the production route. They'd already got Luke Hull, the designer, who is like a sort of a savant genius. You know, he's absolutely amazing uh designer and so like his his vision for ferrix was already happening they were building the town when i when i started the project but what was up for grabs was really the kind of the visual tone really like the uh the way that we were going to shoot it tony was very open to the way that i wanted to do it and how how i wanted to follow on from i wanted to make sure the style wasn't like a million miles away from what had been done on um on rogue one because I really liked the way that that felt. Yeah. I liked the sort of reality of it. And that was really the kind of ethos that he had for the show was that it had to feel real. He wasn't really interested in the kind of fantasy elements of um, Star Wars and the kind of blam blam of it all. He was really interested in the grit and the kind of dirt and where these people were living and how they were living. And just so that you got this sort of sense that everything mattered, you know, the stakes mattered, like the kind of the the battle mattered because it was going to have a real world impact on the characters that we were getting to know. That and all of the Star Wars shows up to that point have been using the volume pretty heavily. And you guys opted to do as much practically as possible, which really lends itself to the gritty nature of it. Was that something that you were a part of as far as the conversations go? Was there ever a consideration for the volume? I th uh, The volume was mentioned. It wasn't something that I think Tony was interested in. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was always going to be a Pinewood shoot but also with a lot of location stuff. That was the original ethos pre-COVID was that they were going to try and shoot as much as possible on location. Um, and that was that ethos going into lockdown. One of the sort of problems that Sana had to solve was like, how do we do this when we can't travel, when we've got all these kind of uh, restrictions on bringing crews around the country and stuff with like, it went from being a kind of location shoot to how do we do as much as possible in studios and build it and build build as much as possible and recycle sets and kind of like be as creative as possible. And that's where I could kind of come in um, with my kind of TV history. We've all, we've never had like mega budgets to play with. Yeah. So we always had to be smart with how we kind of transform sets and how we use our money and how we kind of bring scope and, and scale to a project or maybe kind of uh, under kind of huge restrictions in a way. So um, it certainly wasn't it was like the biggest budget thing that I'd ever done. But uh, we had to sort of make something that was already big feel like a whole galaxy. So and, and suddenly not having being able to travel very far to shoot any kind of massive locations or anything like that they had to be very selective about where they were going to go and so the Aldani stuff they always knew that they were going to go to Scotland so that had to sort of earmark a lot of of the travel time and I think like originally they wanted to go further abroad for the um the flashbacks um Casa flashbacks that we had in episodes one two and three so we had to think really smart about how we were going to do that in and around Pinewood basically oh so that was shot in studio uh no it was um it was i mean part of it was literally there's a there's a park that's just behind the studio that has a small amount of woods and so um i mean my first film that i shot was like a sort of vietnam war epic in a in a in a park in in falmouth in this um small town in cornwall um and it really felt like that again i was like back in this park that's like got dog walkers and stuff two meters away and we built that village 
against the lake and everything and um and so that was just literally behind the studio and then some of it was in some woods on the south of london yeah i mean we were just trying to again that was like a lot of my tv training came into that it was like looking at locations and going and selling it back to tony because tony was like i want to go to a tropical location this is what i had in my head you know we can't do that anymore what do you you know do you think you can do it here and i'm like yeah man look look, look this is this is my visual for it so i'm pitching back to him I'm trying to make this kind of um, bring a character and a kind of sort of, you know, some sort of logical rationale to why the kids are there, why it looks the way it does and and whether that's going to feel exciting enough for us. And I, I really felt like that we could do a lot with what we had to hand um, and just in the way that we shot it as well. And I think that a lot of that flashback stuff, that was an area that I could really kind of have a lot of influence over with in terms of story and kind of how, you know how we kind of bring people into that world because it's really felt like a kind of that lord of the flies world that we hadn't really seen that in the star wars universe for for a while or whatever you know it felt very different to me and i was excited about it i love <laughs> the sound of like when i look at the this and i i assume that this is like obviously the highest profile project you've had and i assume that you you know the filmmaker comes in it's this wondrous big budget thing that they get to work on but you get to like teach them how to work in the tv world basically it sounds like that they needed I think there's, you yeah there's always a cross pollination uh, cross pollination of skills um you know everybody's bringing what they're good at and uh, mm-hmm. i mean sala's always been great at kind of whipping a crew into an efficient uh, and sort of super skilled kind of machine and like she had like an incredible task ahead of her with the the whole kind of like covid kind of machinations of it all it was really sort of uh, complex and trying to keep that show on the road you know when we've got kind of groups and and bubbles of people kind of going down with covid and so that they would have to be sort of like bubbled away and then replaced I mean, we shot for 180 days in total. We didn't lose a single day of filming to COVID. And that like that mission alone was like down to her and her kind of battling every single day, putting out fires every single day. And then that left me on set basically without any producers, essentially <laughs> working as a as a filmmaker on the highest, like you say, the highest profile thing that I'd ever worked on. And I was basically, you know, the buck stopped with me. And if it was wrong, if we did something wrong, I'd get a call, an angry call from Tony three days later, (laughs) you know, um, and that's when I get my notes, you know. So like I needed to get the ball in the back of the net, basically. Like you've just got this sort of, you know, in a funny way, like any kind of science fiction, I realized this when I was doing Doctor Who and stuff like when you do science fiction, it's so it so easily turns out very bad. And you basically like the first couple of takes of something you're trying to do, it will always be the first time you've ever attempted to do that kind of thing in front of the camera. And it will look terrible. And it, you'll think, oh, you know, why do I even do this job? I'm clearly, you know, kind of failing here and like I'm going to lose my career or whatever. And then within a few takes, it starts to get better and it just sort of gets better and better and it finally, finally comes together. But it's so, it really bad, it really wants to be rubbish. That's the thing about science fiction. It wants to be bad. And then like, you have to use all your skills, you know, everybody has to be working at the top of their game to make it feel convincing, to make it feel like that's a real universe or these people actually live and work there or these droids actually work. You know, and it takes a lot of smoke and mirrors. And I think that's the same. It was the same on the Black Mirror. It was the same with, with Doctor Who. All of those kind of heightened universe stuff. It just takes a lot of pushing the boulder uphill. It doesn't just happen. And does that mean that you get to, I mean, because it's such a behemoth, like you're saying, does it leave you room to improvise and deviate from the plan? Or are you just like trying to stick the landing? 
as far as the, um, the running is going? I would say I try and be well prepped so that I can improvise. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you, because you often see an opportunity or a moment or an actor gives a performance in an unexpected way that you just want to pursue, you want to be really well prepped so that if that happens, you can adapt. And if you haven't done your homework, then it's much harder to adapt and people kind of freak out. And it very quickly looks like that you might not know what you're doing. Um, So I think it's really good to sort of really have the, you know, usually, I mean, but in the past when I was working on TV projects, I mean, we used to do storyboards and stuff. And I used to go, storyboards were a list of shots that we wouldn't have time to get. Whereas uh, with um, Star Wars, you're doing proper previous kind of really you know which animated storyboards that completely work and they you know and even getting stunt stunt previews as well from your stunt teams you want to follow those and kind of really deliver those because you know that 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 narrative is going to make sense when it all cuts together it's going to be great so you get that as your backbone and then on top of that you can then improvise and you're looking and I'm always looking for opportunity and I think that's what gives work that kind of three-dimensional feel that anything can happen in front of the camera that it's feeling feel it feels like it's happening it's happening and we're just lucky enough to sort of capture it with the cameras and that's why I come up with the phrase that you know like it's like capturing smoke you know it only needs to happen once and we'll we'll capture it it doesn't and then it'll never happen again yeah and uh, we got it we got the camera in the right place you get the right shot and it's just that magic that's that magic moment that you get um and that's what I'm looking for all the time that's spontaneity and I think that's what gives these episodes sort of a sense of life and a sense that it's actually for once it's really happening it doesn't feel like it was just designed in you know kind of in a computer somewhere it really Mm -hmm. is a, a, a sort of living breathing world absolutely this one feels the most true to life as as anything and that can that's that can be due to the writing as well and all these different characters and the subtext that you guys get to play with. You also got to do outside of one, two, and three that we've been talking about, you got to do eight, nine, and 10, which are currently airing. Now this one's going to go up with episode nine. I love the journey of eight, nine, and 10. And you also get to introduce Andy Serkis as Keen Loy, uh, yeah. which fans have been kind of going nuts about. I don't know if you've seen anything, but there's been this conversation of Kino, I mean, he's also played Snoke. So obviously this is the same guy. Did you guys have these conversations like they're going to think this? Because I don't feel like that's the same guy at all. I didn't have that conversation. I mean, he was excited about like being an actor who's maybe the first actor who's played more than two characters on the screen. I think, is he playing? Is this his third? Because he's done Snoke. Did he do something else? I don't remember a third. Unless he did a voice. I can't remember. Yeah, so maybe it's just two. And, um, like Anthony and Daniels and other people have done that too, where they're they're two characters in the Star Wars universe, and be more than one. Yeah, I, he was very excited about being back, and I think actually it also a chance to do some acting where you're going to see his face. I mean, like mm-hmm. most of the time when you're filming with Andy Serkis, you think at some point he'll be replaced by something else, but this time he wasn't covered in dots. He was it was going to be him through and through, and I don't think he's done that for a while. Is he just come off the back of directing a big project himself? He was very much up for being in my hands and kind of working, you know, closely with Diego. And like we were and he was straight into it as well. We had to we slammed him with some really big scenes that we had to do because you just and that was the other thing with kind of COVID and the way that we shot these things. We would shoot locations out. So we weren't necessarily shooting in order. This is the sort of director kind of uh, the mind twist of it all is that you you have to kind of just like work out the temperature of everything 
kind of scene that you're doing in the one location just so that you know <laughs> that when it's going to go together it's going to be the right build up uh through the course of your episodes and I think you know I can't remember what set that we started or maybe the corridor set or something that we started on so we had all this stuff where we had like you know a hundred men coming in and bare feet you know and this is like <laughs> and again this is like everybody wasn't used to being in, with crowds of people but everybody had to be like double covid checked and sort of you know being through a whole kind of procedure to just get them onto set and so suddenly you're with a crowd of people it was kind of weird you know weird for people to suddenly be around people so a lot of actors were uh thrown by that but um but Andy was really excited to be there and really kind of embraced it loved working with Diego and they really got to it those two and I think that's that was a, another opportunity for me where uh when you've just got two actors acting on set you don't want to be over prepped you don't want to have a whole bunch of shots that you've got to get you want to look at what they're doing respond to what they're doing and and film it in the best possible way so that you're putting the audience right in the shoes of somebody watching this on the ground and i think that's another reason why it feels like you're somehow kind of present when this is happening as opposed to watching it at some other point it's just that you are there it's ex- you're experiencing this and you get a lot of those moments in 8 9 and 10 especially 10 i loved I, I know it's not going to air quite when this is, but just the, I'll just say without spoiling the the moments with Mon or Luthen or Kino, they have such amazing dramatic scenes that are huge in this show. Is there a big difference between directing these explosive episodes where it's like number three or number 10 or whatever it would be versus like these character deepening moments or episodes where you're building kind of and deepening these characters? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Everything is kind of bespoke for those. For Like I say, like you're really thinking about where is this happening in your story? And so like I'm I'm changing the way that I'm changing the lens I changed the way that the whether it's foot like I think you'll find that most of episode 10 is be handheld or something. So it's sort of it will be more vibrant, it'll be more exciting. And then like in the earlier episodes, you tend to sort of be more cinematic and a bit more kind of graceful. It's like you're leading people into it. It's like a symphony. You're looking at your story and how you're moving the audience through that story is it should feel symphonic. It should feel natural and smooth. And you, you shouldn't feel the sort of the turning points or the tonal kind of difference is you're just you're graduated through this thing and suddenly it's incredibly intense and you don't want it to stop and then you know like then it ends you know that's the kind of that's the stories I like I mean I try and do that with all the films and shows that I've worked on is that you kind of build up in intensity without really noticing it and suddenly you're held and gripped by the eyeballs um, and you can't let go any script that you got from Tony was always really exciting so like they came in drafts and they would change um, quite considerably from like an earlier draft, but they were always incredibly uh, insightful and there'd be these incredible speeches and you would just get shivers going down your spine when you're reading them for the first time. Um, I think that's the thing that, you know, I miss most about working on the show is getting a new, a new email from Tony with a, with a, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, that was the best feeling, uh, you know, like it was my first foray into Star Wars. I hope there's another, opportunity down the line um you never know but um yeah i i really loved it people tend to get roped back in i know bryce dallas howard and all kinds of other directors have come back rick pugamuya but a little off topic just because i'm such a fan uh but it does t- take place on a spaceship the black mirror episode uss callister one of my yeah. favorites of black mirror a fan favorite of the show there was a point where it was going to do a, be a spinoff on netflix but i haven't heard about it 
probably for a couple of years. Is that still happening or is that like kind of fizzled? Well, I've just worked with Charlie again uh, this summer. We did another Black Mirror episode, which oh, is wow. going to be that's going to come out next year. We we're always talking about it. Like I don't think it's dead by any means. It's an episode that's really close to our hearts. We we still really love it. We love that cast. We'd love to bring it back together somehow. Um, and it kind of felt like a pilot episode. That was the thing when I finished it. it was sort of I was like, oh my god, I've made a pilot by accident, and it just yeah, it deserves another it deserves another another chapter to that for sure agreed i know like jimmy simpson was saying that there were a lot of ideas that charlie had to go to like jump into from there so i can't wait to see it if it does happen but i've kept you way past uh when i was supposed to but i will end with this what is your favorite star wars movie yeah that that's a tough one i think (laughs) the empire strikes back i think um but rogue one nearly nearly pinches it from 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 empire i just think Empire was that one movie that just has that incredible music from John Williams and like those moments between Han and and uh, and Leia. And I think those are my favorite beats when they're just on the asteroid in the worm. I just, you know, always want to be on the Millennium Falcon with those guys and I'd go anywhere, you know. Those are absolutely my top two as well. Empire and Rogue One are my top two Star Wars movies, so. On the same uh, wavelength here. We're, on the, we're, we're together, man. Good well, talking to you. Yeah, I want to thank you again for taking the time. For our listeners, episode nine of Andor dropped on Disney Plus this week, and they'll have new episodes coming out weekly for the next three weeks. Everything I've seen is excellent. Toby's work is excellent. Again, I can't wait to see what's next for you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. Good talking to you.